Most of us have heroes. Maybe your hero is a sports hero or a military hero or even somebody in the, in the world of arts who you look to, somebody who is led by example and has influenced your own life, made an impact on you. You know, most, most heroes are people who have had to overcome great obstacles. And so when we, when we think about our heroes, they, they put a smile on our face and a spring in our step. In other words, we're, we're motivated uh, to excellence by looking at heroes. We, we want to be like them. Well, Paul, or not Paul, I'm sorry, that, I, I, that wasn't exactly a Freudian slip because I'm not convinced Paul is the author, although he very well might be, but Mystery Man here talks a lot about the heroes of the Old Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. And we spent months going through, we really slowed down and, and looked back at, at many of these heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, he brings our hearts focused to the true hero, the true hero, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that our, my brother, uh, uh, Pastor Ken, just read for us, uh, that we're, we're called to consider him. You know, I noticed as he, as he read those four verses, the, the word endure came, came across three times. And so he is the, the model for us of endurance. And so much of the Christian life is about endurance, perseverance, but not in our own strength, but by keeping our eyes on, on our hero, Jesus. And so I, if you're here this morning, I hope Jesus is your, your Savior and your Lord. But, but I hope he's really your hero as well, your, your role model. The person that, that you want to be like, that you are following after. And so this morning, we're going to take some time to, 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 to really think about Jesus, to consider Jesus, the, the very first two words of this text. And so the first half or, or maybe more of this sermon is going to be just looking at those two words, consider him, consider Jesus. And then we're going to, we're going to look at these two verses, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, and, and look at the context behind these two verses. Um, and then we'll, we're going to finally conclude here by trying to apply some of these truths to, for our, our, our brother, Robbie Gray, who we're going to be closing our service by ordaining him as a minister in our church of, of discipleship and administration. We're so excited to, to have the Grays with us finally after um, months of waiting and, and prayer. The Lord has brought them here. Uh, and and th this final application will really apply not only to his new role in ministry, but to all of us. Uh, but this is a specific charge that I'll be giving to him as we try to apply the meaning of this text to his life situation of considering, considering Jesus. So let's start with part one, the, the admonition to consider him. You know, I, I, I spent more time both in college and then later in seminary studying Greek than I really wanted to. And one of the things you do when you're learning a new language, you usually start by memorizing the words that you're going to have to use a lot, right? And so I, I've, got a, I've got still a, a drawer full of Hebrew and, and Greek cards. And the Greek little flashcards, I've got over a thousand of them. And, and the ones that we learned first were the ones where words that are used hundreds of times, Right, and then you, you know, as you as you progress, you start learning harder Greek words, uh, maybe that are used less. But you know, the word here for consider, I never learned in my Greek studies, and that's a minor in college, and that was also taking advanced Greek in seminary. And the reason is, this is the only time in the entire 
Bible that this word is used. It was only used once. And here it is. And, and the word is analogistathe. Analogistathe. That's kind of a tongue twister, isn't it? But what do you hear there? You hear that word analog, right? Uh, you might even hear the word uh, you might even hear the word logarithm or logistics. These words all come from this word here. And, and the word means take account of, consider Jesus. Pastor Kent Hughes summarized these two words by saying, we must be totally absorbed with Jesus. This requires, this requires negation. That is, turning away from those things that distract us. And then the positive act of consciously focusing and meditating on Jesus. And so Paul wrote to the Colossians. And this is what he said in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, if you've been saved. Right? You've died with him and, and raised with him to walk in newness of life. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. So so here's a question for you, and this is a question I, I, I ask myself throughout the week. How much time did you spend this week You could break your week up into days if you like. How much time did you actually spend thinking about Jesus? Did you have your mind set on Jesus? Or was it set on the pressures and the desires and maybe even the responsibilities of this earth? Now, I don't think you have to choose between one or the other, right? Uh, I, I think that the whole point here is that nothing in our lives should be compartmentalized apart from Christ. And in fact, if they are, that may give us cause to, to, to wait a minute. Maybe we need to address our perspective here. Because if Jesus is Lord and hero, that means of everything. That means my employment, right? That means my hobbies. That means my, my marriage and, and my studies. Jesus is a part of it all. He should be, right? Jesus is our best thought by, by day and by night. But if you're like me, you're a little bit fickle. And, and sometimes it's easy to get discouraged or fail to see how a, a, the, the truth of Christ, which we're, we often we're thinking about when we, get, we gather on Sundays, but maybe on, on Monday morning or maybe on you know, Wednesday night, middle of the week, how does a, a man who lived 2,000 years ago and he lived in a different culture, right? You know, he wore a robe and sandals, and, and he was killed on a cross. How does, how does a man that we haven't physically met, how should he really dominate my life? Well, I'd like to present several things to you. Jesus is our creator. So whenever you're out there in creation, right? And I, I don't know about you, but I love being out in creation, whether it's hiking through the mountains or, or just walking by the sea. Beth and I, on Thursday night, went out and, and, and walked by the, the sea right before sunset and realized, you know, it's been several, it'd been several months since we'd been to the beach. It's like, what in the world? We live 15 minutes away. We're taking this for granted. Why, don't, why aren't we out here every week? Well, we get busy, right? But you know what? He made all of that. 
Whenever you see wonders of creation, you're seeing the reflection of Christ. You're seeing something about his beauty and his power and even his, his mind because he's the one who dreamed it all. We were talking about that in, in our adult Bible fellowship this morning. Mike Rask did an awesome job reminding us that, that praise for the Lord should, should flow out of our life experiences. And when we, when we encounter things that, ca- that draw all humanity, whether Christians or not, to worship, that is to ascribe worth, right? Like an amazing experience out in nature, right? Or, you know, listening to, to an amazing symphony or experiencing a work of art. All of these things elicit praise because we, we ascribe them worth. We talk about them. And how much greater it is to, to then move from, from just simple um, thankfulness or, or praise to adoration to adoring the one who is the mind behind it all. In, in other words, all humanity worships things, but we get to worship a person. We get to commune with him if we have a mind set on Christ, if we're considering Christ. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, for by him all things are created. Sometimes we think God, but actually we should think, yes, we should, but we should also think God the Son, that the man that wore a robe and sandals, that human who was fully man, really is the creator as well. By him, all things were created in heaven, so that would be dimensions and, and, and solar systems and galaxies, things that we can't even imagine. All things in heaven and on earth, which I believe was really the crown of his creation. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, he's talking about kingdoms and spiritual principalities, you know, he's talking about all of that. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So when we worry about maybe a, the super volcano of Yellowstone erupting and ending life as we know it on earth, right? Guess what? In him all things hold together. The, the atomic structure of the universe, in him all things hold together. That's an awesome thought. That's Jesus, your creator. And, and your sustainer. Well, our creator truly became flesh, truly became man in Christ. And he was a true man. He was the hero, the man, but he is the only pure man who's ever lived. So maybe in your life experience, you have been disappointed by a man, or maybe by men and that's easy to imagine, right? Uh, even the best of us men are knuckleheads, all right? So maybe you've been, maybe ladies, you have been disappointed by a man. Well, look to Christ. He's the only pure, truly pure man and trustworthy man who's ever lived. And he, I, I'm, I'm a sinner, and we're all sinners, but we, we have someone to look to as a true role model, a true hero. There is one. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. You see, that's what good heroes do. They leave us examples to try to emulate, you know, to, to chase after, to run after, to focus our eyes on, our gaze on in, in our race. So he left us an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
he committed no sin, the only man that never sinned, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And Peter goes on and and explains how, how this was. How did Jesus live? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to his righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And uh, Chris, do we have words for this? I'm asking Chris if, if, our, if our team back there, I don't know if you can help. We're good to go, guys? All right, Jonathan, thank you. All right, so he is the, the man, he is the only pure and trustworthy man. And he's also the only strong man who was truly humble. Jesus Christ was the ultimate servant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus Christ was both strong and humble. And, and he gave himself. He took the lowest possible position so that we might live. But you know what? Jesus didn't only die on a cross. He, he rose from the dead and is victorious. And the truth is that when we think of heroes, we like winners, right? We, we, especially we Americans, you know, we're optimistic and we like people who win. And, and so sometimes maybe we tend to, when we think of Jesus, we think of a, of a dead guy on a cross. And, and, and praise, praise him that he gave his life for us. And, and, but, but the thing is, if we're thinking of a dead man on a cross, we're, we're, we're appreciative of that sacrifice. But that's not maybe the picture of victory. Or, or maybe when you think of Christ, you're like, yeah, I got it. He rose from the grave. That was, you know, that was just, you know, a, a little bit of time that he was dead. Um, but maybe you still think of a man in, in a robe and sandals. And it's true that Jesus did for 30 plus years, 33 years or so, live as a true human being in a set culture. All right? But when we look at the end of the book, we see a different picture. In, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, we read, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, so when we think of Christ, we need to remember the example, the true human, 
But we need to remember he's, he's also the king. He, and he is returning. He is the king of kings and, and lord of lords. And so there is a, a bit of fear that should grip our hearts as well when we think of Christ. The fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Now the truth is we have a in this room, we have a group of people from diverse backgrounds, right? I mean, while we may consider ourselves a bit homogenous here in, in Niceville, the truth is, especially in a military community, we, we're, we're all coming from different places, culturally, socioeconomically, geographically. But at the end of the day, there are only two types of people in this room, only two. And, and that would be those who know Jesus— and those who don't know Jesus in their hearts, right? And, 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 and really, at the end of the day, God is the only one who knows, right? And, and, and hopefully you have a good idea as well uh, of where your heart is today. Do you know him? Have you, have you met him? Have, have you trusted in him alone to be your, your Savior and your Lord? Well, if you're in that latter camp and, and you don't know him, I pray that today you will consider Jesus. That the truth is, all of us are sinners. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us have all fallen short of His righteous standard. And the wages of that sin, the, 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 the just deserts, is death. But consider that all of us in this room, and if you haven't yet come to know him, I hope you'll listen to this. You need a Savior. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. This is the Apostle Paul, right, our, our hero, not being falsely modest, but truly saying, I am the worst sinner I know. And there were, there were sins that Paul had committed that deeply plagued him. And yet he had a great Savior. And, and, and so do we. And if you will call out to him in faith, he will cleanse your heart. He will make you clean because he died on the cross for you. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you want to know, how, how do, what must I do to actually be saved? Well, well Paul answered that very question to, to a jailer in Acts chapter 16 verse 31 in which he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So if you're here and you don't know for sure that, that when you die, you will go to heaven. Today is the day to believe in Jesus, to believe, believe with your head for sure. There's a cognitive element of faith, but it goes beyond just that. It means to, to trust Him, to, to give Him your heart, to say, I, I depend on you, Christ. I, I'm, I, I can't get there on my own through my own works or righteousness. I depend on you, Jesus. You know, when I look out at you, I, I know, I, 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 only God knows the future, but I know statistically, somebody who's sitting here right now listening to my voice isn't going to be here in a year. All right? I mean, it might be me. I don't know that I'm going to be here in a year. Okay? Uh, I, I remember last year watching Aaron Fowler would sit back over here. 
All right, and I praise God that he loved Christ. I mean, I, I, I figured that out within about two minutes of talking to the man. I have no doubt that he is in glory right now. But what, when we hear shocking stories of, of young guys, a, a man in his 20s, who, who goes in a, in, a, in a moment, right, from, from, from life to death to life in his case, it reminds us that, that gospel truth is immediate. I mean, there's nothing that matters more than where you stand with Christ right now. So don't go home. Don't put it off. If you're a young person, don't think, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of business later with the Lord. Right now, I've, I've kind of got this, some stuff going on. Maybe he doesn't like it. All right, maybe I know he doesn't like it, but I'm not willing to give it up just now. You don't know you have another day. You don't know you have another year. And statistically, several of us are going to pass on into eternity in the next 12 months, in the next year. So, so I pray that, that you will take the gospel seriously. It is good news, but it is serious news. Today must be the day of salvation. And if you're sitting here and you're not sure about all this stuff, you're in the right place. You know, turn after the service and talk to somebody who's sitting next to you. Come talk to me or one of the elders. You're going you're gonna to meet them all at the end of the service here who are here today. Come and talk to us. We would love to, to kind of walk through the gospel with you and, and help you see Jesus. But maybe you're not in that second camp. Maybe you're in the first camp, right? Once upon a time, you felt that the crushing weight of, of your sin, and you knew you were separate from God, and you believed in Jesus. You looked to Him in, in faith, and He saved your soul. And you had the, the joy, the, the, the spiritual rush of knowing Christ, and you walked through your, your day praising Him. I mean, you considered Him. You're like, this is the most practical truth I've ever experienced, that Jesus Christ died for me, and I have life in Him. And, and your, your inner soul was alive, and everything radiated out from that. But that was a long time ago. And over time, your heart became cold, became yesterday or last year, or last decade's news. And the truth is that you didn't think about Jesus much this last week. Maybe your heart is starting to resemble that of the church at Ephesus. Jesus wrote a letter to the churches, and the Ephesians were doing pretty good. They were standing for truth. And yet he said, I have, a, I have this against you. You've lost your first love. Your heart has become cold. Well, if that's you, and maybe you're saying, hey, I, I, got, I got pressures, I got routines, I, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I get my heart warm for Jesus? Well, let me, let me just tell you, he's not far off, right? Jesus said in Revelation, I stand at the door knocking. You know that in the context of that, he's talking to Christians? Open the door of your heart to me. Let me encourage you, do that every morning. Right? Read the Gospels. Like, if you stop and think about it, if you want it, he's there. Right? Put the phone down and, and read the Gospels and consider him. I encourage you to do that, to, to read the Gospels, to, to meditate on, on Jesus. And if I could, I'd, I'd love to make a little suggestion of a book as well that might be helpful. And that's a book by John Piper, very small book, simple, called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. I was just looking, my wife um, recommended this to me this week, as I was, we were talking about the sermon. And it's just, you know, the, the, the cha each chapter is maybe two, three pages, 
And he walks through different aspects of Christ's life. The, the deity of Jesus, the excellence of Jesus, the gladness of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the anguish of Jesus, the mercies of Jesus, the severity of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and how to get right with God through Jesus. There are other chapters as well that I didn't read. Simple book. You can read each chapter in 10, 15 minutes. I, I commend it to you if you're looking for a resource that'll help, help you consider Jesus. But you know, we can also stir each other up in gospel conversations. So I'm looking forward to the picnic this afternoon. Uh, I enjoy time with you, um, and, and sometimes it's good just to kind of shoot the breeze a little bit and catch up with each other. But in our, in our, when we're doing life together, let's, let's be sure to intentionally stir each other up in conversations about Jesus. You can ask each other the question, you know, what does Jesus mean to you, right? What, what does Jesus mean to you? And we can do this right now. Um, brothers in the back here are AV guys. Would you guys mind unmuting this mic? It's a yellow one. Are we good? Hello, hello. Not hearing it yet. The yellow mic. So there we go. So um, in case you're getting nervous, um, be very afraid. Um, Olivia, why do you appreciate Jesus Christ? Sure. Yeah, you can stand up or, or share, whatever you like. Now, just so you know, I gave her a heads up. So this isn't a t- total surprise for Olivia. But Bart, you might should be a little worried. When I think of Jesus, I think of him as being faithful um, and one of the only rocks in this weary land. I think of him being faithful while walking through the valley and through lots of trials, faithful to overwhelm my fear with peace, faithful to fill my heart with joy, and faithful when I call upon his name. He has shown his faithfulness to me time and time again when fighting for my life in ICU, when I feel overwhelmed with the rigor of nursing school, or when hearing news of a friend's tragic and sudden passing, even when I'm filled with fear. And lastly, he's faithful to fill my breath with lungs even when I do not consider him as often as I should in my day to day. Wow. Thank you. Amen. Well, who wants to follow that? (laughs) Why are you thankful for Jesus Christ? Yes, ma'am. That death doesn't have the final say. Wow. Did you catch that? That death does not have the final say. Anybody else? Why do you appreciate Jesus? Rusty. Yeah, you you did give me a heads up on this. Um, I didn't write it down like Olivia, but I would say that... He's, he's what I'm about. Um, he's, he's the hub of my life. Um, there's a lot of spokes in my life, work and family, um, and he infects and impacts everything of my life. Um, he's my hobby. You know, if you, if you talk with me, um, it's the one thing, he is the one thing I'm absolutely passionate about. Amen. Wow. Jesus is my hobby. Karen. Jesus is the one who saved me, and not just saved me, but allowed me to live through a lot um, until I came to faith in him, that I definitely did not deserve him, 
at all. Amen. Why do you appreciate Jesus? Let's, let's do one more. Um, I thought of someone who's endured uh, faithfully, someone who's a hero of mine, Karen Berry. Um, Karen, why do you appreciate Jesus Christ? He gave me a heads up, too. Uh, I wanted to use this opportunity to, to thank him. First of all, I have to confess that I still struggle with believing his love. God's grace and his loving kindness. I've been thrown in the towel. Instead, I stand on the word of God and declare that Jesus loves me. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, my deep refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Jesus is my rock, my refuge, and my deliverer. He's my faithful, loving protector and provider. He is sovereign. He's sovereign over all. He graciously spared Stephen's life when his appendix burst. He spared Elizabeth's life when she fell out of her second story window. He spared my life when I had a stroke. He spared Bill's life when he got cancer. He spared Bill's life when he fell off the roof. So we do not fear evil tidings because our God is sovereign. He does not take us until our appointed time. He's my good shepherd who leads me and guides me and lays down his life for me, for his sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my head. Most importantly, Sorry, Jesus is my mediator. He's my representative before a holy God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm sorry, I'm crying. All we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is my redeemer. By His blood, all my sins are washed away. I've been redeemed. Wow. Amen. So Jesus is our sovereign shepherd and our savior. Thank you, Karen. You know, we should do this more, right? Not just in the middle of a service or a sermon, but we ought to consider Christ together. And in our conversations, remind each other of who our great savior Jesus is, right? Um, This is part of what it means to be a Christian, to encourage each other, to stir each other up, to consider him. I was thinking about a, a preacher who you've probably, maybe you've heard before, 
who did well at, at pointing us to who Jesus really is. And I, and I thought of Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, Dr. S.M. Lockridge, great man of God, a Texan, I might add. Let's hear what he has to say. Guys, if you'd roll the tape. Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. Amen. We might just land the plane right now, but you know, there's more than just two words in these two verses, right? I, I pray he's your king. I pray he really is your king, not just a conceptual savior, but, but he's like your key, the king of your life, and he's your, your hero. 
Well, let's look at verses three through four. We're going to be a little quicker here for part two. But I do want us to kind of look at the exegesis here of these two verses because there's a context. There's a context here of, of, of opposition and, and suffering and persecution that, that mystery man here calls us to consider Christ for, for the, the endurance, for the, the power to be able to push through and, and persevere through that, through that persecution. So he writes, consider him, verse 3, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now here's, here's kind of the background, right? Like, like many of us, the initial joy of salvation that these Hebrews Christians had, had experienced had begun to, to fade over time. And, and they began to get distracted by the hardships of life. And that's why the mystery man here wrote, wrote Hebrews is constantly calling them to endure and to, to put their gaze on Jesus. Well, not only did these, these folks struggle with the, the normal hardships that are part of a fallen world, but they began to experience some of the reproaches of Christ in their own society. One writer summarized it like this. Some of their lifelong friendships cooled to estrangement. They're no longer welcome in the synagogue. Some lost their jobs as they were squeezed out of the family business. Others were assaulted by domestic stress. Even, as even husbands and wife relationships became strained over the matter of Christ. As a result, not a few were distracted. Those increasingly longer looks away from Christ left some off stride. Others stumbled here and there, and tragically, a few had quit altogether. That was the Hebrew church that this letter was, was written to. So, so how does Mystery Man encourage them? Well, he certainly acknowledges the reality of persecution. There is opposition in, in this world to the gospel. And Jesus said that, that a, a, a disciple, a follower, is no greater than the master. So if, if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. I, I remember years ago in Afghanistan, the very first believer that, that we knew was ready to be baptized. And there wasn't a whole lot of water where we lived, okay? That was an issue. And there was a little trickle of a river, but, but when you go down there and, and if someone is publicly baptized, that's, that's really the kiss of death for them. That is, in that culture, when um, the life and death kind of persecution begins, right? So we were kind of trying to figure out how do we, what do we do here? You know, it would have been a whole lot easier to be a Presbyterian. You know, easy, just kind of sprinkle a little water on his head. But hey, you know, as a, as a Baptist, I thought, all right, we got to figure out how we're going to, how we're going to immerse this guy. And, and so we built this little box. I had a, a shipping container made out of pine wood. And so we, we, we kind of cut it up and built this little pine box and, and, and lay, lined it with, with plastic and filled it with, with water, well water that was quite cold, baptized him. And then he turned and baptized his, his wife. They, they were following Jesus together. And what struck me in the middle of our, of our ceremony here was this pine box looked just like a coffin. And you know what? Persecution followed. And I've shared with you stories in the past of, of Dr. Luke, young Afghan believer who's now um, kind of like an Apostle Paul kind of figure in his country. All right? And I remember when he first was saved, I remember thinking this, I, you know, he was just kind of awkward. I didn't expect him to really amount to a whole lot, uh, but poured into him. And of course, he encouraged my heart, poured into me. 
And he has endured persecution, and it has made him strong. So he can say, that's my king. You can say it too, but he can say with conviction, that's my king. We learn that, that persecuted Afghan Christians were more courageous than those who had simply heard the threats of persecution. All right? So that's kind of the, the, the feeling here, is that it was just kind of getting started here in, in this church. And actually, we know from history, it, it got a whole lot worse when Nero came into power. All right? And, and so here the exhortation of verse 3 is, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In the, in the ancient world, this was sports talk for runner's collapse. That, that word weary, growing weary and faint-hearted was, was, was what they used to describe when a, when a runner would just faint and collapse. Okay, oftentimes, you know, make it across the finish line maybe and then just kind of fall on the ground and, and, and collapse. Or sometimes before they actually got to the end. And so what he's saying here is, so that you don't collapse when you encounter hardship, keep your eyes on Jesus. Your, your, your hero, not, not your eyes on, on, on avoiding or evading hardship. Keep, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And, and therefore, when you get to share in his sufferings, you can actually rejoice that you are worthy of sharing in his sufferings instead of having a mindset of something's wrong. Right? My, 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 my plan for a, a painless successful life has been thwarted, something's wrong, I must be out of his will. Does that make sense? So, so keeping your eyes on Jesus because he showed us how it's done. Like how do, he showed us how to endure persecution. And, and like a good hero, Jesus leads by example, and he overcame hardship. Now, now we see here in verse 4, kind of a, a, kind of a hey, none of you have yet died in this fight, Right? You're, you're starting to encounter persecution, but you haven't yet suffered martyrdom, is, is what, he's, what he's saying here in, in verse 4, when he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. As one writer put it, he's, he's basically telling the Hebrews, cut the melodrama. I don't see any bodies lying around. It's not that bad. Get up, stop, stop whining, and get your eyes back on Jesus. That's what he's, what he's saying to them. Now, Dr. Moeller puts it this way. He says, the, the not yet in verse 4. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So, Moeller says the not yet in verse 4 is critical. Although some Christians might not yet have experienced physical persecution, it remains a real possibility for all of us. We must always remember that the, the comfort we know now is not guaranteed to last forever. Things can change quickly, and in many parts of the world they do. Almost instantly, countries change re regimes, constitutions, or law enforcement approaches. Persecution of Christians can happen anywhere at any time, and it can quickly lead to the shedding of blood. We should remember that, right? I don't want to see it come here. I don't want to see it get worse, but it very well might. And so, where do we put our energy? To try to stopping at all costs, things getting more difficult, or putting our eyes on Jesus and being about his kingdom work and proclaiming the gospel loudly. Either way, either way, however persecution may come here, we're to put our eyes on, on Jesus. Now some here, some see here that the, the struggle against sin in verse 4 means that the struggle against our own sinful nature, 
okay? Specifically, the temptation to give up in the face of persecution. So if you have an ESV study Bible, and if you look down at the notes, that's kind of what it says, right? It thinks that the sin here is talking about your own sinful nature that you're to resist, right? Others say that the struggle against sin refers here to the sin of others. One one scholar put it this way, oppressors who who try to terrorize them into abandoning their faith, that, that we're supposed to resist that sin. But either way, Jesus is our example of endurance through his shed blood. Whether that was at Gethsemane, where he he sweated drops of blood as he overcame the temptation that was a real temptation to to abandon his mission, which would have been a sin. He was tempted in every way, to the point of of shedding his own blood through, through drops of sweat, bloody sweat, as he thought about the mission God had called him to, and as he overcame that temptation to quit to not go through with the cross. Or the actual blood he shed on the cross as he was tortured and killed for our sake. Either way, we should consider him when we share in his sufferings, even when our own are less and much less in extent. So that's the, that's the big point of these two verses. You want to get through persecution or suffering, you want to endure in life, whether it's the hardships of, 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 of health issues, living in a broken world, or whether it's the hardship of other people marginalizing us, mocking us, maybe even suffering at work because we're standing for Christ, either way, we keep our eyes on Him. And so as we, as we kind of land the plane here, I'd like to apply this specifically to, for my brother Robbie Gray. And as I said earlier, this applies to all of us. This is, this is for us elders. This is for the staff of the church. This is for every one of you. This is, this is for me. But let's consider Christ together. And what that means is that we remember every day that we are serving and proclaiming Jesus. Robbie, I pray that God will continually and daily motivate you in all you do for his glory. And that includes at work, right? Um, Some of you have jobs where some of your work may be tedium, right? Maybe you go to an office um, maybe maybe you're, you're trying to organize folks. Robbie, that's going to be part of your life. You get to come in here and try to help organize us as a church staff. May the Lord help you. And, and, and so that may be even when you're looking at spreadsheets and budget stuff, right? Consider him. Do it for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so even if you've got a job where you're thinking, you know what, I, this, is, this is treasury, you ought, to be the best, you ought to be the best person in that office. You ought to be at least doing your very best for His glory. And you know what, you have a, one, of the, one of the best places or, or ways to be a witness at the marketplace is to do your job well. Do your job well so you have credibility, so people will lean forward when you, when you have something to say. And then you've got to take advantage of that credibility, right? You've got to proclaim Christ. And so, Robbie, when you're teaching— I want you to remember that your job as a minister of the gospel is not just to teach theology or moralism to us, although that's included, right? We, we want to please the Lord, and we want to know more about the Lord. Your job is not to tickle the logical or emotional eardrums of your listeners, but your job, number one, is to make much of Jesus Christ in all of your teaching. And I've heard you teach. I know you're a gifted teacher. But in all of your teaching, Christ must be the hero of your teaching and your stories. And and all of Scripture points 
to Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So, brother, make sure that when you teach and and when you preach, it is truly for his glory. Something that, that helps me sometimes is to imagine Jesus sitting in the audience. What, what, what will I see on his face? Am I truly, is my ultimate desire his pleasure and his glory? So be sure to keep Christ central. All of scriptures point to him. Maybe you ought to go back and, and listen. There's a, a song by Aaron Jeffrey called He Is. And if we had the time, I'd, I'd read you the lyrics now. But go back and listen to that song. Um, it, it just points, it shows Christ in every book of the Bible, right? In like a five-minute song. Um, and, and so everywhere we see all roads lead to Christ in the Bible. Now, one last thing I just want to encourage you, Robbie, before you come up here and we close by ordaining you as one of our ministers, is that, you know, consider Jesus for the long haul. In, in any of our lives, um, in any of our ministries, there are times where we will get tired and we will get discouraged. And it's very possible to consider giving up. Well, let me encourage you to consider him. He did not quit. And by that I mean never, and this applies to all of us. The Lord may move you from one place to another, but never quit. Never quit on your faith, on your commitment to him. Never quit as a mom or as a dad in, in raising your children to, to know him. So for the long haul, Remember Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which we studied a couple weeks ago, which our brother led us off on. And and this whole chapter, or verse 3 and 4, really points back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And so let's read it again together. And let's read it out loud. I believe we've got it up here. Let's read it out loud. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gift of a, of a great Savior, of a, of, a, of a hero, and of our King, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his faithfulness, even in the face of great persecution, and we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on him, that we would consider him every day this week. Lord, that, that he would be our foundation. He'd even be the filter for our decision-making. Lord, as we, as we go through all, all kinds of aspects of life, Lord, help us to look to him. May he truly be our, our hero. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who doesn't yet know him, that today you would reveal the truth of the gospel to their hearts and that they would put their faith in Jesus alone. Lord, I want to pray for my dear brother, Robbie Gray. Lord, for his wife, Erica, for his, his, his son, Pete. We thank you for bringing them here. Lord, we pray that you would ordain them with your grace such that it would be fitting to the task that you're calling them to, to serve you by serving your church. We pray in, 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 in our name, or in the name of our, our Lord, Savior, and Hero, Jesus. Amen.